Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. Special Edition is a production of Intercom Communications. Welcome to Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. Let's start off by introducing you to the Secretary of the Hanover Green Cemetery, Jackie Kaiser. I'm looking at you and I'm saying, what in the world would this woman know most about? And it just so happens to be the Hanover Green Cemetery. Welcome. Hello. Now, give me a little bit of reason why you know so much about the Hanover Green Cemetery. When I was in high school, I was always interested in history. It was one of my favorite classes. Uh, The boy at that time that I was going out with, his family lived directly across the street from the Hanover Cemetery. His grandmother lived next door to him, and we would go for walks with her. And as we would walk through the cemetery, she would point out various people and tell us their stories. So that's how I became interested in this particular cemetery. As time went on, uh, my husband became uh, part of the board of the cemetery, and I came on as secretary. And we decided that uh, this cemetery was founded in June of 1776. More people should know about who's buried here and what their lives were like. So we began to start these Heritage Days. And during these programs, we have costumed reenactors who stand by the graves and tell that particular person's stories. We have guest speakers. Uh, We have our basket raffles and a little food stand. But mostly it's about the history. There's a lot of history in our cemetery, and um, even the people that live close by it sometimes are amazed at who's buried there and what they accomplished. Where is Hanover Green Cemetery? It's on the main road in Hanover Green. It's like one street next to Sansui Highway. So it's not not like it's hidden. No. It's it's there. No. If you go to, um, on the Sansui Highway... If you go down Sansui Highway and you end up by the new high school, the new Hanover High School, at the traffic light there, if you take a right, go up the hill just a little bit. It used to be called Alta Hill. Go up just a little bit, you'll run right into our cemetery fence. And there we are. What a fascinating way to have an introduction. So you used to walk through the cemetery with this woman who had all of this knowledge Did you have the thought in mind at that time to write any of this down that she would give to you? Unfortunately, no. I was only 16 at the time, and I didn't think to write anything down until later in life, like it happens to so many people. Your grandmothers and grandfathers, even your parents will tell you stories, and you're too interested. You're a kid. You're too interested, and then something happens, and all that information is gone. Mm. So if I could tell one thing to people, it's... Talk to your relatives. Get all the stories down. Get all the people down. You'd be amazed at what goes on in your family. 
Oh, I bet. And coming from an Irish family, I know a lot of them took it right to the grave with them. They held so many secrets. Boy, those <laughs> those ladies, they would keep a lot of secrets. Now, you're mentioning the fact that you have these opportunities coming up for people to actually get to know about the history. Tell us when that's happening. That's going to be this year on June 2nd. It's a Sunday. We're going to have it from noon until around 5 o'clock. And there will be, like I said, tours and speakers. And it's not the first time that this has happened. No, we've been doing it now for about 10 years. So the cemetery itself, 1776? Yes. It must be in pretty good shape. I believe it is. Yeah? Mm -hmm. Have you been part of taking care of that? Yes. Well, I don't go out and mow grass, but I do swing around a weed whacker. <laughs> <laughs> and what about as far as the, the the stones are concerned? Because again, things change. And a lot of times when you go to a cemetery, you look at some of, of the monuments. So you immediately, oh, that must have been a very prominent family, or that was a, a very prominent person. Do you are you do you have those kind of stones or are they just the stones that we would think of in 1776 that might be very flat or very small? Well, we have the old section and that's mostly our colonial section. Some of the stones are even slate and in German from when the German immigrants came over and settled down in that section. But a lot of the markers, you could still read the names. You could still make out their birth dates, their death dates. You could find uh, Rufus Bennett. He was one of George Washington's lifeguard. Lifeguard? What, did Washington have a pool? I know he crossed the Delaware, but what does that mean? Well, a lifeguard, it would be something like today's maybe Secret Service. He had a group of men that would follow him around and try and guard in case of an assassination or an attack. Oh, wow. Now, how would you know that he was one of them? Because you must have done some research here? Well, the DAR has set up a monument for him, so they did the preliminary work. And plus, uh, going through other records, his obituary, uh, we found his obituary, his uh, eulogy at his funeral, and it uh, uh, mentioned that, mentioned things like that. Things like that still exist? You have to dig around, but yes, you can find them. That's amazing. Now, did you have to travel in order to find all this or is this right in our own backyard as far as all this information no it was mostly um we would go to the library or the bishop's library now what's the bishop's library um that's like the next house down from the osterhout library and in there they have uh, newspaper clippings and different articles on uh, microfiche and you could go in there and look look your articles up and uh print it out for a small fee See, now, and there are so many people that automatically think everything's on the Internet. I don't have to. But you still have all these. You've taken us from Hanover Green all the way down to downtown Wilkesbury, and everything all goes together. Jackie, you're amazing. Well, as a matter of fact, in the Osterhout Library, they have a bookcase, and it's locked because the old books are in there. You'll find tons of books in there about the history of not only Hanover Green, but of Luzerne County. They have the, the history of Luzerne County. They have um, S.R. Smith's book. He was another history of uh, Luzerne County. You could find tons of information down there. I always recommend people go to your local library first. You'll never know what you'll find on uh, 
the bookshelf in the back. I bet. And a lot of times people don't take that opportunity anymore because, again, they go right to the Internet and there's so many other areas. Now, again, for your event coming up, where and when, and is there a cost? It's free. The f- there is a fee, though, for the tour. And, of course, uh, for the basket raffles and the food. But you're more than welcome to walk around on your own. And plus, the speakers are free. They will be in our chapel. Oh, there's a chapel uh, at the cemetery. Now, is this an original chapel as well? It's not original to 1776, but there was always a chapel on the grounds of the cemetery. The cemetery started out as six acres with what they called a meeting house slash chapel. And over the years, a couple burned down. Uh, The one was half built, and then that congregation moved out. And then... uh, the present-day one was built, and it's still in operation today, and there's a service every Sunday. Currently? Yes, every Sunday. Um, I believe the save service is at 11 o'clock, and you could go see our, our cute little chapel. It has uh, the oil lamps in it. It has a vaulted ceiling. It has uh, the flying pulpit, the original pews. Wow. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew this was just right off the Sansui? So when again, Jackie, is the is your event? It is June 2nd, and that's a Sunday. And what time? 12 until around 5 o'clock. Oh, so it's the whole afternoon. It's and the whole afternoon. Once again, give us the directions to the cemetery. Down the Sansui Highway till you get to the Hanover High School. There's a traffic light there, and if you take a right and go up the hill. That used to be Alta Hill. Or if you're left, if you're coming from Nanticoke. Just go, and you'll run right into our cemetery fence line. That's amazing. And when we're talking about um, all these, so many different things that go on, do you have a Facebook page, a web page, any place that uh, somebody might be able to get in touch with you if they were interested in maybe getting involved? Well, you could always call the cemetery. And leave a message. But also, we do have a Facebook account and a website, and it's uh, just HanoverGreenCemetery.com. And then you just have to put in the search for it, and then that, It'll will, come right then up. that will come right up. And you were going to tell us about what? Well, I'd like to touch on a few of the people. Um, I always thought that history was important. It gives you a pride in your community. It gives you a sense of the people that strive to build our area up and how we should continue with that. We have people from the Revolutionary War right up to the Korean War and World War II. In fact, on Sunday, we are going to plant, Sunday of the event, we are going to plant a tree for Wayne Wolfkyle. He was a Vietnam veteran from the township. His plane was shot down over there, and his body never recovered. He's our missing in action, and we feel that it's time for him to be recognized. So we're going to plant a tree. And that tree will be there forever in his memory. And that'll be on the June 2nd, that yes. afternoon at, mm-hmm. the, at the cemetery. And you were telling me before we started to actually do our interview that you did all this research on everybody in the cemetery or just about? Well, for the tour, we're only going to have about maybe 10 or 12 stops. But there are going to be interesting stops. They're going to go all the way from 
colonial times all the way up to the 1800s from um, Mr. Abraham Lincoln's storm. He had a silk mill in Nanticoke, and he was very successful. But he employed child labor. Well, the girls there, they didn't like that. So they ended up picketing him. But he never did uh, resolve that that issue with them as his factory burned down and he never rebuilt it. And what year was that? That was in the 1800s. Wow. Again, we're going mm-hmm. back. And we're going to have um, a gentleman who was in the Battle of Pioli. We're going to have, of course, our Rufus Bennett. We're going to have Richard Inman with his fascinating story about... Uh, how he saved Rufus Bennett at the Battle of Forty Fort. We have, uh, of course, we have people who went up to the battle who never came back, but we do have a lot of them that did came back, and we have their stories. We have Samantha Mill, if people are familiar with uh, Mill Memorial Library in Nanticoke. Yes. She's interred in our cemetery. Her obelisk is the tallest one in the cemetery. She just loved Nanticoke, and she loved our cemetery. And uh, she was a very kind lady, never got married, and bequeathed a lot of money to people to help them out, people to get to college, things like that. It's amazing when you hear these stories. Now, again, you did the research on these people, you personally? Uh, well, it was, you know, a combination of uh, looking at their monument and then going, pulling up newspaper accounts. And uh, looking in the library, you know, all the obituaries, if you could find an obituary, if you could find an account. And, of course, you don't just go to one account uh, for a story. You have to kind of back it up. Mm. Like, okay, this person said this, so let's go see what uh, Pierce says about this story. Or let's go see what uh, Blackman Plum said about this. You try and collaborate everything to make sure you're getting as accurate information as you can about these people. And it's hard, and I hope we've done it right. But, um, yeah, for the most of it, I looked it all up. I uh, had clippings from uh, uh, a couple clippings from Bob's grand. That's my husband, Bob's grandmother, about, well, one of them is the ghost of Hanover Township. <gasps> and that was a, a silly ghost story about uh, the 1800s. Who that knew? was originally published in the Wyoming Observer, if anybody remembers that newspaper. Wow. And she cut it out, and uh, we have it in our little history book, so people could get a chuckle about that. And that history book you have here with you today, is that available? Yes, you could buy that. Oh, we, okay. we have a couple available. And we also have, um, it's supposedly the last scalp taken in Wyoming Valley. A scalp? A scalp. A real one? Yes. Oh, my. One day, um, Jameson was with his brother, Ben, and his friend, Asia Chapman. Now, you'd have to picture the cemetery not built up as it is, well, not built up, but not filled up as it is today. They were going by the chapel, and they were surprised by a few Native Americans. Well, he was scalped outright. Ben ran away, and uh, Asia Chapman got mortally wounded, and he managed to gallop off to Deacon Hurlbut's farm, where the, where the deacon found him, took him into his house, got his wife, and he bid his final farewell. Now, that's supposedly the last scalp taken in 
Wyoming Valley. And if you go to the little museum, the uh, Historical Society in Wilkesbury, again, that's attached to the library. If you go in there, you're going to see a painting of that event. Oh, my. Who knew? Mm-hmm. Be- <laughs> so that, if you go there and you see that painting, that happened right on our grounds. And his brother, Ben, no, pardon me, I believe it was Bill, he was our first recorded burial in our cemetery. And he was scalped by Indians also. He was scalped down by Brislow. But what happened to him is he didn't die right away. They bashed his head in, <gasps> and he lingered like that for several days before going to his eternal rest. And then I have to wonder, how did they write these articles up in these newspapers with the descriptions? and It's, it's just amazing, Jackie, when you think about it. Well, a lot of it, too, is uh, from history books. People back then, like Blackman Plum, he took it from his father. His father was writing things down. And he would list the people that were in the militia. And he would list those that didn't make it back from Forty Fort. And then his son, you know, passed it down, passed it down. And then they wrote the history. And that's where you get a lot of this, too, that people back then, like Pierce, um, trying to think of another name that did... Uh, books back then, but they had the sense to write these stories down while people still remembered them, while they were see, while they were there, yeah. basically. And that was that good for them. And then you could go to their <laughs> books, and then you could pull all this out. Yep. See, good for them. At least they had the, the foresight to go ahead and do that. Mm-hmm. So Hanover Green Cemetery, Sunday, June 2nd, mm-hmm. from... 12 until about 5. 12 until 5, free admission. But if you're going to take the tour, mm-hmm. there is a, a cost for that. And what else are you going to have there? Well, we'll have some food and we'll have some raffle baskets and people could sit around and talk uh, after the tour, even before the tour. They could just stroll around by themselves on the cemetery and read our old markers. Uh, some of the epitaphs, too, um, are unbelievable. When you, you read... Uh, some of the things on the tombstones, how and they... they are readable. They are readable. That's amazing. Of course, um, they're fading, of course, as everything mm-hmm. else is as time goes by there. Uh, some of them are, are limestone. Give me, give me one or two before we have to get everybody all packed up and ready to go here. Okay, here's Rufus Bennett's epitaph. For eight years he was in the Revolution, also a lifeguard of Washington. May his ashes rest securely in the land of his labors. His ashes. Ashes to ashes, dust Dust to to dust. dust. Exactly. Here's here's one. Here's one of Mother's Day's coming up, so let's say this one. A loving mother, oh so kind, a beautiful memory left behind. Our home would be like heaven, could we hear her voice again. We loved you very dear in life. In death, we do the same. Oh, Jackie, you're you're just you're an amazing lady. We can't wait for this to happen. Thanks so much for coming in today and sharing all of this. And people need to look you up. Well, thank you for having me, and I hope some people come down and have a good time. I hope it doesn't rain. 
Jackie, we'll keep our fingers crossed for your event as well that it doesn't rain. Now don't go away. We have more special edition to come. Welcome back to Special Edition. If you've been putting off dental work, no matter what the reason, including if you don't have insurance or even if you do, you can visit Mohegan Sun Arena in June. Dr. Richard Grossman, Dr. Chris Kocek are here to tell us about it. It's unbelievable to think that coming up in June, you're going to have estimates of 2,000 people coming to Mohegan Sun Arena in Wilkes-Barre Township for dental services. Dr. Grossman, how is this? how did all this come about? A number of years ago, a dentist from uh, down south uh, made a presentation of the American Dental Association and uh, with a clinic that he performed down there to offer free dental services to the public. And the American Dental Association, the Pennsylvania Dental Association, thought it was such a good idea. We formed our own group of Mom and PA, Mission of Mercy, in Pennsylvania. And we started uh, performing these clinics, holding these clinics uh, throughout the state. It's been in Philadelphia, Harrisburg, Allentown, Pittsburgh, Erie, and Reading. And a number of the local dentists from our area thought it would be good to offer this clinic to our community here in northeastern Pennsylvania. So that's where it will be held in Wilkes-Barre Township at the Mohegan Sun Arena, June 7th and 8th. Dr. Kotzik, um, when we're talking about something such as this, normally when you think of a clinic, you think of going in and maybe there's children there and they're getting their teeth cleaned or something like that. But this is going to be so much more than just teeth cleaning. Yes, this is going to provide really comprehensive care for the emergent uh, problems that these patients will be having. We're trying to get them out of pain uh, and really get them on the road to better dental health. So when they do come, not only will they have dental treatment, they will also have a medical exam to make sure that they're healthy enough for treatment that day. Uh, But most importantly, once they receive all their treatment, and this treatment includes everything from a dental cleaning to dental restorations to root canal therapy to dental extractions, Um, But once they leave, uh, the most important thing really is that we try to get them established in what we call a dental home so that they can go on from this event and continue on uh, with comprehensive dental treatment uh, in the future. This, it just sounds like such a major, because when anybody, any of our listeners go to the dentist, we know we go in, we get x-rays once in a while, we have a checkup, and then we might have to get fillings, and so... How I just can't fathom how you're going to be able to do all this with 2,000 people, and it's a first-come, first-served basis. I guess it's my turn now. I'm jumping back in. It's Dr. Grossman again. (laughs) Uh, We're going to have dentists from all over the state, possibly from out of the state. They'll be all specialists, even uh, uh, Dr. Kochik, who's an oral maxillofacial surgeon. We'll have a lot of oral surgeons. We'll have endodontists, specialists who perform root canals. Uh, We'll have a lot of general dentists who will be uh, doing fillings or what we would call restorations. We'll have hygienists who can clean teeth. We'll be taking x-rays. This We'll have about 130 dental chairs set up. People will move from one station to the next. The one thing I do want to stress is if you're going to come, please bring a list of the medications that you're on so that you can receive the treatment that uh, uh, that, that you require. 
And if you if you are coming, you could end up having an extraction. So what happens? You know, normally, again, you go get an extraction. You have to go and get blood work. You have to get tests. You have to... Dr. Kachik, what happens there? You don't necessarily need to have blood tests uh, or any of that, depending on your medical history, of course. But that's where uh, the medical triage comes into play. Unfortunately, there may be some patients that may have uh, medical issues that may not allow us to stay. Whether their blood sugar is too high, whether they're on a blood thinner where their uh, values might be too high for us to treat. Not that we won't treat somebody who's on a blood thinner. We will. uh, But there are certain blood thinners that we require blood tests, which we will provide there. But there are certain criteria in which um, it has to meet in order for us to treat them safely. But, you know, the other thing we also have to think about is, well, some of these patients, what happens when they have uh, a problem maybe after that day? We do have that safety net set up where we do have a number of volunteers um, that will be uh, contacted uh, through kind of a, a liaison that we have set up that has a phone that has the number um, that is on the post-operative uh, care sheet once they leave. So any issues, they call that number, and then that person then directs them to who they need to see um, if there is any issues post-operatively. I just think that this is amazing. I applaud you for bringing something like this and making it possible. Dr. Grossman, it's free. It, it's free. <laughs> no questions asked. Uh, no, uh, it, it is not income-based. Uh, it, as Dr. Kochik said, it's first come, first serve. You'll have to pr- wait in line uh, to go through a registration process where we will take your medical history and you'll remove. Then uh, a dentist will check out, uh, check your uh, mouth out to see what really is required. And from there on, you move from uh, one area to the next to receive treatment. Uh, I've, I've done this in the past four years. Dr. Kochik has done this in the past, and uh, it's really amazing uh, uh, the, the work that is really accomplished. And I encourage anyone out there who really is in dire need of seeking dental treatment, please come. Uh, we really do not want to discourage anyone uh, from coming. Uh, even if you feel language is a problem, we're going to go out of our way to try to have translators there. So uh, please uh, try to take advantage of this. And while we're talking about that, it's not just the Chris and Richard show. You are going to have to have a, wow, how many volunteers? Well, we we aim to uh, get about 1,000 volunteers. So we will have uh, dentists, we'll have dental staff, we'll have nurses, doctors, physicians' assistants, nurse practitioners, EMTs, pharmacists, lab, uh, lab staff. But really, most importantly, is we need a lot of lay, uh, lay people to, to volunteer because just having 2,000 patients or 1,000 patients a day, just maneuvering this number of people through the clinic and helping uh, get them from place to place and making sure that everything moves efficiently. And uh, translators, this is something that we're really in dire need of, especially those who are bilingual in Spanish uh, and English, because um, we are going to have, we are, we are estimating um, that we will have a number of these patients who will require some assistance with translation. So, so we're really looking for that. But, but anybody who is interested, uh, they can go to the website, www.mom-n-pa.com, and register. 
and you follow the prompts and they'll show you where we really need the volunteers because there are several um, sections on the uh, registration page uh, where we'll let you know where we need the most help. And translators right now is one of the places. And you mentioned the fact that it's not, you don't have to be a medical professional to volunteer. No. Not at all. In fact, uh, as I was uh, mentioning uh, previously in a different interview, uh, my mother, who lives in Florida, who will be 92 tomorrow, heard about it, and she made plans to fly up here. She said she could sit at a chair and register people. So we need pe- uh, people out there to come and help. No one, once they register, is left alone. We need uh, uh, someone just to even walk them from one area to the next uh, so that we we need people to uh, – we have to feed some of the volunteers. We need people even just to help serve food to the volunteers. So this is really a very complicated uh, process, and we need your help. So we're asking you to go on the website and volunteer. That is absolutely amazing. I can't even I can't even fathom that many people being at the arena, going through this process, and as as you said, you're you're talking about nothing's. I mean, anything that can happen in teeth you're going to be equipped to do. That's amazing. Majority of, of things, I Majority. would say. There are a couple <laughs> of things that require um, some lab work that needs to be sent away and takes time, such as uh, crowns and bridges, things like that. Um, I did have a question brought to my attention asking if we uh, will be doing crowns. but that, Repairs? Uh, that is not uh, a possibility just because of what needs to be done. Repairs, um, they can do... Um, for some patients, uh, depending, uh, they may even be able to get a replacement tooth, some, something temporary or something that's removable. Um, we, we may be able to provide that service as well. Uh, but again, really, the, the, the most important thing we find is we want to try to get emergent needs taken care of, get these patients comfortable, out of pain, and again, get them set into a dental home so that um, they can continue to uh, have the dental treatment that they need and, and, and keep them healthy. There's a lot of people uh, out in our community who don't realize there's certain clinics that are available to them. And so we're going to try to get, uh, we'll, we'll have some of these different clinics at the arena that as you are completing your treatment, hopefully, as Dr. Kochik said, we'll be able to educate you or get you in touch with these clinics so that you can follow up and so that we do not leave people in the lurch. Dr. Kochik, well, the thing that is really amazing is that within one day, we convert an arena into a giant dental clinic. And just to see that happen before your eyes is amazing. The doors open, I think, around 6 a.m. for people to start uh, registering. And there will be free parking at the arena. And that website, one more time. And you also have a Facebook page, too. We have a Facebook page uh, for mom dash n dash pa we have the website www.mom-n-pa.com we also are on instagram once again those dental clinics are coming up this week on friday june 7th and saturday june 8th at mohegan sun arena the clinics are first come first serve no appointments needed and patients can begin lining up at 4 a.m now since we did that interview with the organizers we've now found out that they have worked with the luzerne county transportation authority on bus service to accommodate 
patients. There will be four shuttle trips from the Wilkes-Barre Intermodal Center to Mohegan Sun Arena on Friday, and there will be three trips on Saturday. For those using regular LCTA services, bus routes 18 and 10 will bring them close to the arena. There will also be customer service representatives at the Intermodal Center Friday morning after 9 o'clock in order to help patients reach the arena. You'll know them. They'll be identified by their LCTA shirts and clipboards with bus schedules. They will give you a one-day pass if you're headed to the clinic. More Special Edition next. Welcome back to Special Edition. Thanks for joining us. Now we're going to meet someone whose results of his research may really surprise you. Did you know that Pennsylvania recently ranked third in the country for the best chance to catch a glimpse of Bigfoot? According to the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization, there have been more than 1,300 sightings of Bigfoot across our Commonwealth. I had the opportunity recently to catch up with Jason Talmadge. He's co-founder of Pennsylvania Bigfoot Investigations. As I said, what he told me surprised me quite a bit, and maybe... When you hear what Jason has to say, it will surprise you too. Jason, how interesting is it to be tracking Bigfoot? Really? In Pennsylvania? Is that true? Oh, absolutely. Uh, We just ranked third in Bigfoot sightings for the nation with over 1,300 Bigfoot sightings. Here? Locally? Well, here throughout the whole state of Pennsylvania, the great thing about Pennsylvania is if you look outside the major metropolitan cities like your Philadelphia and your Pittsburgh and your Harrisburg, most of Pennsylvania is woods and farmlands. True. That's very true. So what I I guess my question is, as a Bigfoot investigator, and there may be people snickering out there, so let's make believers out of them. How do you go about going out, and does somebody call and say, hey, Jason, something happened? We have a, a different, or several different types of approaches we take. If someone gets a hold of us and says, I have a sighting, we'll chat with them and interact with them a little bit through private message on our social media, maybe do a phone conference with them. And if we feel that the sighting is legit and they're not just pulling our leg, we'll go out and have them show us where their sighting location was, tell more about it, and we'll do an active investigation of the area. When we go out and do an investigation, we just take on the role of what I like to call informed hiker. We know what we're looking for. We know kind of how to approach trying to get a Bigfoot to interact with us. And other than that, we just roll of casual hiker. So how do you get a Bigfoot? It almost sounds like it almost sounds like a joke, but it's it's true. Right. Um, they have different ways they communicate with each other, one of them being wood knocks and rock knocks, which they'll basically take a large stick and start banging it off a tree as if they're trying to hit a home run. It's kind of a Bigfoot version of a text message in a way, saying, where are you at? I'm here. Where are you at? Wow. So if one's in the area and you do a couple wood knocks, Maybe if they don't know you're a human and they think it's another Bigfoot trying to interact with them, they might reply back. Another Bigfoot? Yes. How many do you estimate 
might be out there? Ooh, it, it's really hard to say. Um, I mean, you look at Pennsylvania with the documented 1,300 sightings. 1,300? 1,300 sightings, yes. Uh, and I look at it as those are the people that took the time to forget about being ridiculed by their friends and neighbors and went and reported it to a researcher somewhere or someone that enjoys the subject. I can only imagine the amount of sightings that go unreported that just kind of stay with that person and maybe when they're older in age we have stories of their people saying well my grandfather had a bigfoot sighting and he didn't tell us until he was on his deathbed and he just wanted to get it out of his system because i'm just fascinated by this now there's that many so how many have you seen i've personally never seen one i've had just about every type of experience and found every type of Bigfoot evidence out there, but uh, my catching lightning in a bottle moment is seeing one in person. So what evidence have you found? Well, here in Northeast PA, we have footprint castings we took outside of Wapwallapin. We also have footprint pictures that we took in Sullivan County on Gamelands 13, a little bit south of Red Rocks. We found footprints in the snow uh, outside of Berwick. That's pretty close. Yep. Now, where are you located? I Personally, I live in Swoyersville, but in the general Northeast PA area, we've done over 80 investigations. That is really amazing. Of course, I know probably a lot of our listeners have seen the TV shows. I saw one not too long ago. I want to say they were in Anchorage or uh, someplace, uh, might have been Alaska somewhere or someplace up in there anyway. And it wasn't a Bigfoot, but it was something native to that area that they were tracking. Do we have anything like that in Pennsylvania that might be native here or is Bigfoot native here? Bigfoot is native here and depending where you go in the country, every area has different nicknames they call them. For example, if you're in the South, they might be known as swamp apes. In Virginia, they're known as wood boogers. In Ohio, they're called the grassmen. Uh, Native Americans have hundreds of different names for them. Actually, down in Lancaster County here, there's a small Bigfoot, and it's known as the Alba Witch. Ooh. And do they all have the same... Do they leave the same evidence? Do they have the same trail? What are you looking for? I know you said the footprints and stuff, but... For the, can... most, for the most part, they all leave the same type of trail. Um, if we're not finding any footprints, another way they kind of either mark their territory, communicate with other Bigfoots in the area, they make these weird, crazy-looking tree structures out of down trees. And if we come across some crazy-looking tree structure in the woods that doesn't look natural or a hunter's blind, then it's... A piece of evidence that we photograph, maybe it is, maybe it's not, but it's definitely something out of the ordinary. Who do you have working with you? Um, along with me, it's my wife, Michelle. Our other co-founder is Bob Bucko. He's out of Bloomsburg. And then we have Rob Veers out of Wapwallapin. How did you all get together and find out that you had this in common? I've always been interested in Bigfoot since I was a little kid, and... Once the show Finding Bigfoot came out, I'm like, holy cow, people actually go out and do this. <laughs> and, and why didn't I think of that? <laughs> yeah. And a friend alerted me that there was a local group, so I kind of started bugging them and messaging them about letting me join. So they finally let me join, and I was with them for a couple months, and that's where I met Bob. 
And after a few months, uh, Bob and I decided we wanted to go and be on our own and kind of do our own thing. And that's when we found the Pennsylvania Bigfoot Investigations in November of 2013. And about two years later, we brought on Rob. And uh, my wife, Michelle, has always been active in it, you know, being my sidekick. And when no one else is there to go out in the woods with me, she, she goes out in the woods with me and kind of talks me off the ledge when I get excited at, over a piece of evidence that might not be a piece of evidence. And she's kind of our resident skeptic. So there's only two of you that might go out into the woods. Do you have a way to trap this creature? No, we, we don't want to trap it. We don't want to kill it. We just want to see it and get evidence of it. That's incredible. Um, now, how can people, if they are interested and they're hearing this and they're saying, you know, Jason, I'm kind of like that person. I don't want to take it with me. I want to share the information. How how can they get in touch with you? Right. You can find us on Facebook is the easiest way to get a hold of us. All you do is go up to your Facebook search bar, type in Pennsylvania Bigfoot Investigations, or you could go to facebook.com slash PA Bigfoot INV. Wow, that's that's amazing. Do you have a group of people that, um, I guess, work with you or give you, you know, because I know we talked about in the very beginning where you can get some kind of a, uh, maybe a heads up from somebody that something looks a little bit strange. And I know the one I was talking about, they were called in because animals were disappearing and animals were, were being left that they had been harmed. Can that happen? They've known to steal chickens and other farm animals. Um, they've known to take cats and dogs. They don't get along too well with dogs. But generally, 99.9% of the time towards humans, they're nothing more than curious and want to be left alone. Where do they come from? Do you have any idea of their history? My theory is way, way back in the day, they came across the land bridge in the North America. There's this giant ape called Gigantopithecus came across a land bridge and maybe maybe not interbred with early humans and evolved from then oh and then they just kind of kept to themselves kept to themselves yep so do you suppose that somewhere out there there's a whole colony they they're known to travel in family groups so there could be little ones as well as yes yes uh little ones are referred to as juveniles and they travel in family groups and people have reported seeing little baby bigfoots before now uh, we can't show them on uh on the radio obviously but when you do go out and you do some uh different discussions and have people come in you have some of the casts yes. that you made can you describe those right uh we took those outside of wap wallapin in april of 2017 it was a private house uh our member rob his son actually found them in the woods bordering their house <gasps> came in you know dad dad you got to come and take a look at these so the next day we went out and casted everything and it turned out to be what how big uh they're about i want to say 18 or 19 inches long yeah wow that's bigger so, than a basketball shoe yeah yeah <laughs> some of the nba players yeah <laughs> Were, was there any other kind of uh stuff that he found there that maybe gave him the indication that this was something to well what we think happened is uh rob has chickens on his property so we think it came in to try to steal the chickens ah and you know have an easy meal so you don't think maybe he has Facebook and he saw that you guys are looking well, for well, him? Well, no, no. Rob's one of our members, so, right. you know. Right. But you don't think Bigfoot... I'm, I'm teasing you. Right. I'm just teasing yeah, you, Yeah, but, uh, I mean, anybody could get a hold of us if they had a 
sighting or an encounter or think they had one or just want to, you know, shoot the breeze with us and ask questions. And I think it's fascinating because, again, we don't know what's out there. We think we are the masters of our domain, but it's just like going into the ocean. Right. Who knows what's what's in the ocean? I, I mean, every year new species are discovered. I mean, it was, I think, only a couple of years ago they found a tribe of people living out in the rainforest that they had no clue even existed. And, and things like that can happen around here. Because as you said in the very beginning, we have, we're inundated right. with forest land and a lot of places people have probably never been. Right. Yeah. There's definitely some remote places in Pennsylvania where people haven't set foot in probably 100 years. And who knew? Now you're out there. Good luck. Be thank careful. You, thank you. Thank you. Tell us how to get in touch with you once again. And I know you want to alert people to check your Facebook page because you do have something coming right. up later in the summer. Right. Uh, you could find us at Pennsylvania Bigfoot Investigations on Facebook or Facebook.com slash PA Bigfoot INV. Check back on the Facebook later in August. I forget the date off the top of my head, but we're going to be at the Berwick Library and we're up there once a year to do presentation and what we did last year it was actually pretty cool we uh did about a 15 minute presentation and then we went to a local active bigfoot area and actually took people out on a bigfoot investigation of whoever wanted to stick around and kind of show them what we do in berwick yeah outside of berwick yep Well, we'll have to keep an eye on the Facebook page. Absolutely. Thanks again to Jason Talmadge, co-founder of Pennsylvania Bigfoot Investigations, for joining us. We'll have Jason back in the future to tell us about any more sightings that he and his group may have had and where, like he mentioned in Berwick come August, they will be bringing their information to the community. And today on Special Edition, we'd like to leave you with a few reminders of things that are coming up and happening right now. That includes the inaugural Lackawanna County Heritage Fair underway on Montage Mountain. It continues through Sunday. Gates open at noon. Admission is $10. And don't forget, there's a cross-promotion with the Scranton-Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders. If you bring your ticket stub to the fair, you'll get in for $5. Likewise, if you you bring your wristband to the Rail Riders games this weekend, you'll get into the game for $5. And also a reminder that coming up next weekend, there's going to be a fundraiser for some of our favorites, our animals. That's going to be happening in Scranton. Mark your calendar for next Saturday, June 8th from 3 until 7. It's at St. Stanislaus, 530 East Elm Street in Scranton. It is the Picnic at the Parish, and all the proceeds benefit the Northeast Pennsylvania Pet Fund and Rescue. Tickets are available at Shannon's Pet Grooming on Pittston Avenue in Scranton and must be purchased in advance. Thanks for tuning in to Special Edition. Federal law enforcement in the Middle District of Pennsylvania are dedicated to making our community safer, and your help is making a difference. I'm United States Attorney David Freed. As the Chief Federal Law Enforcement Officer in the Middle District of Pennsylvania, I want to ensure all families feel secure on our streets. That's why we launched Project Safe Neighborhoods in October 2017. We've taken guns off the streets and charged violent criminals menacing your communities. A lot of these cases were made possible because of neighborhood support, people who reached out to us to report criminal activity. 
Our commitment to those who come forward is simple. If you see something and say something, we'll do something. In turn, we pledge, we'll be here, in your neighborhood, with your local law enforcement, working together to build relationships and deter crime. The 2019 Scranton Catholic Charismatic Conference will be held August 2nd through the 4th at the University of Scranton. The theme for this year's conference is, O Lord my God, I cried out to you for help and you healed me from Psalm 30. Speakers for this year's event include the Reverend Raymond Francis, Patrick Rice, Dr. Mary Healy, and Bob Valiante. To register or find out more, call 570-344-2214 or go online to ccrscranton.org. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories, a production of Intercom Communications. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 